What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 169 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Itamar Morani. He's ex-Israeli Special Forces, and when I met him in Thailand, I was super intrigued by his persona, his demeanor, his personality when I got to sit next to him in a seminar. And prior to meeting him, I had heard about a gentleman giving a monumental speech earlier in the day that I happened to miss because I had interest in another seminar, but I was upset that I did, and then I felt so fortunate to happen to sit next to him, find out he was a gentleman who gave the speech and invite him on the podcast to tell his story about growing up in Israel, about becoming a special forces operator within the Israeli army and what it takes to achieve something that you desire to set a goal and really go after it with a focus and discipline that he did a really good job of articulating the difference between setting a goal within a military structure where it's like you can have a senior ranking officer describe the mission, uh, describe what it takes to achieve the goal. And then you apply everything you have to really achieving what is described to your utmost ability. And when you take that into the entrepreneurial arena, starting your own business, the same principles apply in a way of focus, discipline. But the difference is, is that the framework hasn't been set for you. It's something that you have to create every step of the way. And yes, you can reach to individuals who have already created something similar that you want to create, learn from them, implement what they applied. If they were successful, apply it to your own model and achieve success that way. But it's not always just working hard or working harder. As you hear a lot of people say, oh, I work 14 hour days and that's how I got here. Well, that's just arbitrary. That's an arbitrary amount of time that people just ascribe to the amount of time they spent working towards a goal. When within that amount of time, there's multiple different facets, many different individuals all contributing to achieving that goal. And he really did a good job of breaking down how he has created a framework in which that he can apply to anything, anything that falls in front of him, any obstacle he sees in the future that he can then utilize to go under, around, over, through. And it's a mental model that he applies to everything. And he shares it with us throughout the episode. And I don't want to spoil it for you because he does such an articulate job of describing it. You, the audience, can apply it to anything in your life. I know I will apply it to my life, my business aspirations, the next steps I'm taking to achieve the lifestyle that I really want to have. And he's another prime example of somebody who had a lifestyle that he really wanted, um, didn't have any real knowledge of a business that he could create to designed that lifestyle that he wanted. So he chose Facebook ads. He he chose to build a Facebook advertising consulting company, which wasn't necessarily his passion, but he felt it was going to help him design the lifestyle that he want after the special forces. And then by taking that first step and grinding away at that for a year and having some success, he found himself sitting at the same seminar that I did, giving a speech to a room full of, you know, 40, 60 people. And at the end of it saying like, Hey guys, I'm a little bit lost right now. I've designed this life for myself and for my fiance up until this point, but I would love to hear your ideas, have a little brainstorming session with you if you could see me thriving in a different arena. And he said that multiple people came up to him after he gave that speech and said, you need to go into business consulting with what you have, your personality, your clarity and how you articulate yourself, the knowledge that you bring from the special forces. It can be applied to helping small businesses and businesses in general reach that seven-figure, eight-figure mark with that discipline and focus that you describe. And it was really relevant to me and where I'm at in life, and it could be really relevant to you in anything you're about to do, which is why I brought him on. I'm so excited to share his episode with you. So if you haven't yet subscribed to Misfits and Rejects, please pull out that phone, hit the subscribe button. That'll allow you to get notifications of the next episodes that come out in the future. And if you like Itamar's message and you think it could help somebody else, please share it with somebody else. I know I would be honored. I'm sure he would be honored if you are a small business owner and you think that his principles could help you or he could help you. Please don't hesitate to reach out to him. He started his own company after DCBKK called MaraniConsulting.com. And it's in the show notes. You can go check him out there and reach out to him if you feel that he could benefit your life, your business, and any endeavors that you want to accomplish. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Itamar Marani. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. 
with cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Ikmar Marani, a special forces, would you call yourself an expert? Or would uh, you just... An ex-special forces operator. Ex-special forces operator who's now mentoring small businesses, business people who are trying to take themselves to six, seven figure lever, levels. Is that correct? Uh, it is, yeah. That's awesome, Absolutely. dude. Yeah, we met at a DCBKK. Yep. We actually were attending a seminar together and you gave a speech that I didn't get to hear but everybody who went to was just like awestruck by it. <laughs> and I think it kind of changed your trajectory a little bit. It did. And, it did. and where you were thinking you were going to make your next move. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about that? So it was my first time ever giving a speech about any of my past experience. So I was also in the special forces for a while and I also worked for my government for a while. So I did um, perform several positions doing undercover security work abroad on behalf of the government. And I didn't realize I had anything unique because all the people that I grew up with and like my friends were from the same spectrum of life. And it was during a Junto, one of the DC meetups that we have once a month that somebody asked me, like, Edomar, what's your background, man? Like, how did you get to the DC? And so I kind of shared my background, did the special forces, worked in the government. I was chief of security for an oligarch and all that. And they were like, what? <laughs> we just learned SEO because we wanted to stay at a beach in Thailand. And I was like, oh, Okay. They're like, you should share your story. So the DC, I decided just to give a presentation and I tried to give, so something I realized that a lot of people, a lot of my friends and business owners, they're like, this is a really valued tool you have is that I'm very calm when things go wrong. And I was like, okay, how can I distill this and give this to the people in the DC? Because up until then I'd been running a Facebook ads agency. I decided this is the quickest way I can make to stop working for that oligarch. I didn't want to work with him anymore and to start basically bringing value that's very fiscally um, quantifiable into the marketplace. And it was a quick connection, businesses that are already going, I can bring them more customers, I can charge for those customers. And that was just an entry point. And I also thought it would never be a wasted time for me to learn marketing and sales in the 20, 30 year outlook of my life. Um, so that's what I was doing. And at the end of the talk, I just said, guys, if you appreciated this talk, um, I'm a little bit lost right now, to be honest. I would, there's a lot of very smart people in the room I run an ads agency right now. I'm not really sure how to implement this skill set that we just talked about into that or how to bring it into business. Let's open it for q and I don't want to rob the room, but if you have time afterwards and you'd like to give me a suggestion, I'd love to hear it. And a bunch of people came up to me after the talk and they were like, man, that was an awesome talk. What the hell are you doing running Facebook ads? <laughs> and it started to become like the theme of the weekend. The people would come up to me and be like, that's a great talk. I'd be like, wow, thank you. And all that. They'd be like, but what, what are you doing? Can't, are you blind? And I was like, I, kind of, I guess. So it never occurred to you? Not really. Um, not really. It's like I always felt comfortable like um, being in the front, yeah. leading. Right. I always enjoyed that. And there was something when I was younger that I was like, maybe I'll get into public speaking at one point. But I guess I, I didn't think that I had something that was so tangible of value that people would want. And when people came up to me and they're like, can we pay you to, to mentor us and help us lead our teams? And I was like, man, I would love to do that. Because like really just, I, I love helping first. Like I'm also a jiu-jitsu black belt and teaching is one of my favorite things. It's like more so than training. I really love teaching and like sharing knowledge. And so... It was just kind of an easy click. And it so, sounds like a click, though, that came without really knowing it was about to come. I had no idea. So, like, honestly, <laughs> the reason I did the talk was because I'm fairly new in that community, and I was also fairly new in business. And I knew there would be a lot of people there that are so much better than me. So I was thinking, what's a way I can give something really cool to the community? And maybe somebody would be like, Edomar, okay, you're starting out. Let us help you a bit with your ads agency. That was, like, my best-case scenario. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I never thought that people would be like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Why don't you do it? But I guess sometimes you just got to listen to people, you know? That's great. It's a good approach. Yeah. Real quick, just to clarify, I thought you had been living in Thailand for a while running your ad agency. Um, so I had started the ad agency about a year ago. Oh, okay. It's only been running 12 months. I was originally positioned in Bangkok in 2010 on behalf of the government. Okay. Um, I then finished that up at about 2011. I came back here just to kind of travel around Southeast Asia a little bit. And uh, my current fiance, who's American, but she lived in Bangkok, 
we met then, and ever since then, Bangkok's kind of been a hub. So when I worked in the private sector in counterterrorism, I would fly out every month to somewhere else. I would do like a month work, a month of paid leave. That was kind of my work schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'd just fly to wherever in the world I needed to work, and then I'd fly back to Bangkok. Wow. Now, so the audience can understand because you allude to, I think, a topic a lot of people are like, oh, exciting. Like you were uh, special forces, counterterrorism. That was for the Israeli government. Yeah. So IDF, Israel Defense Force, the special forces. Okay. And then for the Israeli government, did the, I was in our version of the FBI or CIA, MI5, MI6, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I did not work in espionage. I was not a spy, but mm-hmm. I worked in counterterrorism in several positions abroad. And I was also very fortunate to work in our federal services. Our most prestigious program is the Air Marshal Program, which I know is a bit different than the States. But I was very fortunate to also be a part of it, and I was the youngest one in history, which is pretty cool. The youngest one in history being yeah. Air Marshal. Yeah. What does the Air Marshal do? An Air Marshal is a person who stops 9-11 from happening. Okay. So if terrorists try to hijack a plane, there's a team there to intervene and make sure that everyone gets home safe. So you're on the flight. Yep. People are planted on flights, or is there always an Air Marshal on every single flight? It varies from country. Okay. In Israel, it's by national law. It's, it's public information that all Israeli flag carriers, so not all flights that go to Israel, like if a United flight comes to Israel, that's different. But every Elal, Israel, and Arkea flight, it's by law that there are air marshals on the flight holding it down. Okay. So what little I know about um, growing up in Israel is that everybody has to serve, mm-hmm. correct? And so you growing up knowing this is going to be something you have to do, did you already have a plan to kind of take that path and become a special forces person or were you chosen because of some skill set that you had that you were just kind of plucked out and said, no, you're going to come do this? Um, so it is kind of, uh, it's inevitable you know, mm-hmm. that you're going to join the military. And also at like my great grandparents all got wiped out in the Holocaust. And so there was like a strong why. That it's not from even like, I never wanted to be a warrior. That was nothing that I grew up in. I was like, I like to fight. But it was just kind of like a feeling of, I have an opportunity to defend myself and to actually build us a home where my great grandparents and my grandparents who were like had to flee, they did not have this opportunity. It's also just I come from a militaristic family. Like my brother, older brother, special forces. My father was special forces. He was a major. My mother was a captain. You know, she wasn't combat, but she was a captain. And it's just kind of what the Marani family does. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's like I never, I, I wasn't too crazy like uh, about the military. My older brother, like when he was sixteen, he was obsessed. He was running up sand hills, you know. He was going after it. And with me, I just kind of trickled in. I was like, okay, I'm going to join the military, so might as well join, and go as high as possible. And there is a tryout and selection phase. So there's an initial phase where you go for one day to like the recruitment office. They just run several tests, like a very basic IQ test, a physical and all that. And from there on, you start getting filtered and you do physical tryouts, you do one-day tryouts, two-day tryouts, three-day tryouts, and you kind of progress along the route until you actually get chosen into a unit. So it's not mandatory to be even combat. Um, There's so many ways to get out of actually being combat. Combat is only 10% of the military. It's not Mm -hmm. what people think. And to special forces, you have to go through a lot of tryouts to get into it. And then the training itself, when you do get accepted as an American, we have, you know, BUDS, which is for the SEALs. We have the Ranger School. We have whatever. How does it compare? What's it like for you as a special forces officer? So it's much longer. Okay. It's, like, it's interesting. I didn't, the BUDS, I think, um, is six months, I believe. Okay. Like our units, like until, from the point where you get drafted until you're actually certified as an operator who's allowed to go on missions and you get your insignia and all that, it's a 20-month thing. Which is, uh, I, I'm very curious to see how the Americans do it because they must be doing it honestly just more effectively, more efficiently. They're spreading tasks more, but like better or whatnot. And we're still a young military, so it's a 20 months process. And it's like intense 20 months. Like it, it starts out and kind of weans down. Okay. So it's like at first there you have boot camp, which you do with the, what we call like the big military. You do inside the regular, um, brigades or combat troops. I'm sorry. My English vernacular military isn't great. It's okay. Um, and then you do four months of that. You just kind of learn how the military works. Then they take you into advanced unit boot camp, away from the big military and the special forces units. And that's basically like hell week times eight, eight weeks of hell week. And once you graduate from there, it starts to gradually get a little less um, mentally tough, physically tough. And now you're, you're training more of your skills. It's always, they're, always, they're always messing with you. There's always a fog. You have no idea. When you're going to go to sleep, you have no idea if you're going to get a lot of sleep tonight. You don't know if you're going home. You don't know when you're going to eat. There's always a fog. They always try to like make you 
just be able to survive and thrive in uncertainty. Just make it, uncertainty is just life. And that's kind of what you learn to, but it gradually gets easier. And they gradually treat you better with more respect and because you earn it, you know? So in the American system, as I understand, they break you down. They strip you of your identity and try to build you in the American soldier. And I remember hearing from one Israeli that that's not how the Israeli system works. How does it work? So my first day in the military, and again, this is special forces. It's very different than the other things. And, uh, and I, was in, I started out in the most elite, elite unit. There were 12 of us out of the entire age range. And the officer sat us down. He was like, guys, my name is Yoni. If you can't handle being able to call me Yoni, not sir, yes, sir, but call me Yoni. And then when I tell you to do something, you do it. You're not mature enough to be here. And it was very much about that. It's like we have a very, very strong mission of our why here. We're trying to protect the country so we have an ability to actually live in peace. It's like, I don't need to tear you down. I don't need to do this. It's like if you're not ready and able to be here, you're just not going to be here. But again, that's special forces because it's a voluntary thing. You have to always prove that you want to be there. It's different, you know what I mean? Right, but so that's that's not like an ethos throughout the whole military structure within Israel? They, they don't try to tear you down. And um, it's also, it's like I don't think a lot of the things that fly in the U.S. military, like where you see um, uh, like in Full Metal Jacket, where the guy is tearing them apart, cussing at them mm-hmm. and all that, I don't think that would fly in Israel. It's like because everybody knows everybody and because it's also a the big part of the military, a big one of its biggest goals is also to educate the generation and like make them better human beings for the country. So I don't think that's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to create just war machines. They're mm-hmm. trying to create human beings that are good human beings and good civilians, and now they have to conduct in war for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Do you think your training kind of prepared you to be that person you described early on in the show, that calm under any situation, or do you think that's more of who you are personality-wise? Oh, no. It definitely prepared me. And I, and I was not... I was also like, I came into, so my story is, and I, I did it, I said that at the talk, I started out in the most elite unit, but I got kicked out of there at some point. I was not ready there. I wasn't evolved enough as a person. I was not ready enough. And I also just wasn't tough enough. I didn't have, I didn't really understand my why and what I was able to push because of it. So it definitely helped me forge the person I am today because of it, no doubt. And it's like, I was very lucky to be thrust into a very, very heavy fire that exposed it. You know what I mean? So unquestionable. Do you want to talk about that? Because that was actually my next question. Is, yeah. You know, on your slides that I prepped myself with, you talked about how you um, you quit and failed. You know, why did I quit and fail? Yep. Like, that's a big statement to make. It's like one whole slide. You know, so like, what does that mean? So the story is as follows that on the last week of advanced unit boot camp, which is like, it's eight weeks. You're just miserable. You're always tired. You're always underfed. You don't know if you're going to eat, if you're going to sleep. You don't know what's coming next, what hill you're going to have to run up or crawl up. Like there, they do really try to tax you mentally. They're also teaching you, but the point of it is not really to teach you. It's to see who's fit to be exposed to a lot of the confidential stuff later on. So they try to like weed everybody out as quickly as possible. Um, and like it was the one, of, it was a night. I don't remember what day it was, and it started raining really hard. So they were like, "All right, guys, get your gear on. We're gonna have some fun." And we just started running. And you don't know how long you're gonna run, whenever it's gonna last, what is gonna happen. And around I think like the 10k mark. Um, I always struggled with the long runs. I wasn't a good long distance runner. I was good at sprints, good at Krav Maga, but the long distance things always, were always very challenging for me. Um, around the 10K mark, the officer came to me and he's like, Edom, are you all right? Because I'd always struggled on the runs. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And he's like, do you want to take a rest? And I was like, yeah, I can take a rest for a second. And he was like, truck's right there, man. Let me walk you to the truck. And that was the moment I quit. It, there was no ceremonial bell ringing or anything like that. Was it quitting or was it, was it like, did you know he wasn't really offering you a it rest? It doesn't matter. That's a thing. And I think that's, that was a big lesson that I got mad at at the beginning, but that's a big and true lesson. Like I quit. I chose to go sit down. I knew that like, they don't want someone there who's going to take a seat. They want mm-hmm. someone there who's going to be like, what, what was that? Mm-hmm. You think you need to ask me if I'm okay? Like watch this. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like, you wouldn't, like I wouldn't now want to go to war with somebody who'd want to take a seat. And it's the same thing. Like, I wasn't ready then. But it sounds like you went back and... So okay. after I started from the most elite, okay. and I got kicked out of that, mm-hmm. and I went into like, another very nice special forces unit. Okay. And so you were not completely. You had options. 
Yes, because again, it's like it's a trickle down kind of thing. So if you start here, you go down to here, and you go down to here, and you go down to here.、Um, yeah, because I started very high, so I was able to still like land somewhere nice. I see. And then like the federal service, that's where I feel like I actually like really came into my own and shown. And、okay. Shine, sorry.、Yeah. No, it's all right. What? Yeah, what did the federal service、um, require of you? So it was a ten-week program. And again, there's a lot of different programs in the federal service in our Shin Bet and Shabak. There's people who do undercover security at the airports for prime ministers, for ambassadors abroad, and the air marshal service is the most prestigious one. It's the hardest to get into. It has the best salary, and also instead of just being hip to hip with a minister, you get to fly around the world and, and do some cool stuff. You know what I mean?、Mm-hmm. So, I was underaged to go to. They had an age minimum of、uh, I think it was 23 at the time, and I really wanted to go to it because I felt like I still had something to do to prove to myself and like who I want to become, and I was very lucky to know a couple people in the service, and I got a very, very nice、uh, letter of recommendation from my superior officer, which I think was more because he liked me, like me and him gelled really well. We we had good laughs together, we had a good time, more so than it, he. I think he talked me up more than I deserved at that time, but long story short, I was able to go through a bunch of committees and get in, and they were like, "You're underage. We're going to try to kick you out." Like there was one like bad cop in the committee, and he was like, "I'm looking for you to fail," and the whole course was kind of like that atmosphere. But I was just able to really dig, and I had a strong why, and I was like, "I don't." I was kind of like traumatized from the first unit, and I was like, "I don't ever want to be able to, to say I gave up in anything. I want to、mm-hmm. always give it like not just a hundred percent, but I want to be the guy that makes people nervous because like, oh, he's so prepared. You know what I mean? I want to set a standard.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was able to graduate. Graduated with honors. I was、uh, later on approached to actually be an instructor at the compound for Krav Maga, and I think I just shown there because I was ready to make the sacrifice necessary to be elite. And I recognized that it was very important to me and what that entails. So it was a choice. You came、Absolutely. to a place within yourself that you were just ready to make that decision and go the distance. Yep. And it wasn't like I find with myself. I have、um, goals I set for myself, even in business right now. And sometimes I question, like, am I doing enough? Yeah. You know, like I work seven days a week on this.、Um, you know, I I feel like I can only really be productive six to eight hours a day, and so I don't see like why fourteen hours a day is that magic number that everybody always talks about. You know, and like, but then I'm thinking, like, well, fuck, maybe I'm not doing enough. Like, what、yeah. more could I be doing? And that's why this group has been so helpful because they kind of fill in the gaps. I mean, we're sitting in my room right now. It's like. This is kind of where I live all day, every day, by myself, and I'll go to some juntos or I'll like we we did the DCBKK and that does help. But like sometimes I'm just like I don't know what else I can be doing right now, you know.、Yeah. It sounds like that's where you kind of like you knew what you needed to do to get to where you wanted to go, and it was basically whatever it took. So it's interesting that you say that because I think also it's a certain skill set that people develop in the military. And I think a reason a lot of people struggle when they get out,、um, especially in the U.S., which、uh, what I've found the U.S. military less encourages the individual, is that you have an incredible, incredible ability to do what's necessary to get to and rise to that level and surpass it. But what we do now as entrepreneurs, it requires a lot of just individual creativity and like mapping out where you want to get to. And it's a completely different skill set. So even if I'm incredibly good at just going hard and going the extra limit, if I don't know where to direct that to, it can be very challenging.、Um, so it's kind of like not the question you asked me. I can see the difference now. Yeah. When you have someone telling you like this、exactly. is what you have to do to get there, it's just you do it. Versus us, we're trying to be creative, adjust, adapt, and move in a direction that is going to help us grow our businesses to where we want to get it, and、yeah. that's very gray. Yeah, so、There's no it, clear path. Yeah, think about it this way: It's like, how easy would it be if you showed up to entrepreneur work every day, and there was an outline? This is what you got to do. This is the hundred and ten percent. This is the hundred fifty percent. You could smash it every day, but that's a challenge. In it, I think. Absolutely. What do you think everybody got out of your speech that made everybody so enthusiastic about what you said? I said first off, I owned up to it. I feel like I wasn't born tough. I think. A lot of people in the community viewed me as like, "Yo, Edomar is this super disciplined dude. He just goes after it. He's very honest. He's very. He has a lot of integrity. He's tough. It's like、uh, he's got that special forces like magic sauce that everyone's talking about right now. And it's like I want more of that. And I was like, I wasn't born with it. I got kicked out of my first unit because I was not ready. And I also shared that mental module thing about how I actually what I used in order to 
basically foster a better mindset and be able to make better decisions while I'm under stress so that I don't make decisions that I regret, like saying, yeah, go rest in the truck. <laughs> I think that was a thing. I wanted to empower people to think like the special forces guys, maybe some of them are, but most people aren't born tough. They have certain things in life that push them to their limits. And some of us are lucky enough to have good people in our corner to help us rise after we fall and build stronger. And hopefully that's what I got across. And I also wanted to not just do it in a motivational hurrah place, but really give them a practical tool that they can immediately implement in their life. And I think what we also did, which was very, I haven't seen anyone else do it in DC during my talk, they actually did work. So we learned it. We, we learned the story. We got a little bit motivated. Then we got a very practical thing to do and they did it there. We stopped for five minutes. Everybody did the exercise so they can actually implement in their life, get their reps in, start working and go from there. And I think that was really valuable for people to see I it in see. action. And so you could implement it immediately. Can you share what it is for our audience right now? The mental module you described? Yeah. So the way what happens is when we're under stress, we make faulty decisions. Okay. When there's basically there's three big detrimental factors that hinder our decision making ability. It's one, the complexity of the task at hand, which is a given. If it's very complex, we get stressed out about it. Um, there's the workload. So even if it's a very simple task, but we have a million of these things to do before tomorrow morning, it can mess with our head and again, cause us a little bit of anxiety. And the third is stressors, whether they're biological, we're hungry, we're tired, we haven't had a cup of coffee or people who smoke haven't had their cigarette, whatever it may be, or external stressors. Like there's construction work going on outside. We got money problems. The client is bothering us the wife is bothering us, whatever it may be. And the thing is that all these stressors, the only time they actually have an impact is when you're performing a task that's time sensitive. Once the task is not time sensitive, you can break a complex down, a complex task into small little tasks. If the workload is great, it doesn't matter. I mean, like if you need to complete this task only 10 years from now, you can just break it down and do it gradually. The stressors, the biological ones, you can get some sleep, you can get some food, get a cup of coffee. The external ones, you can work it out. You can move yourself to a different location if there's construction work, whatever it may be. And that was the point I tried to get across. It's like, okay, I made a bad decision because I wasn't prepared for this situation to happen. And I didn't have a preconceived answer in my head. But what would I say to the officer if he tries to mess with me and try to tell me, like, do you want to sit down and get some rest? So there's this mental module formula that I created then goes like if then because so because is my why what's my big driving factor that's going to allow me to actually want to overcome to persevere to whatever it may be if is a situation that may arise that will be a breaking point for me and the then is the action I'm going to take so after that first thing in the first unit it's like if in the second unit I get put in a situation where I think I want to quit, then regardless of how I feel in that current moment, I am going to push through and I can quit 10 minutes after it's all done if I still really want, because I remember how much I regretted that first decision and how much I still feel ashamed of it, how terrible it made me feel. And I don't want to repeat that because it's important to become a better person with that. And when you start creating these mental modules of if, then, because you kind of are ahead of the game. Because you're not making decisions in real time and having all these emotional barriers just act as detrimental factors to you. Everybody else is thinking in real time and they're distracted by their emotions, but you've got this like, like bank of mental modules just in your back pocket you can pull out at the ready. And that's what we did there. I said, the first thing we're going to do is an if-then-because for the conference. Like, who here is an introvert that's regretted not reaching out to people? Who here is an extrovert that's regretted talking a little too much and not opening up his ears and listening? Who, here's the, who has one person they really want to connect to, but they feel like if they're not ready for it, they're just going to kind of miss out on it. So we gave them five minutes, and they made an if, then, because, for the conference. And there was one guy, he was nice enough to share his mental model with everybody, and he says that he sometimes gets, he acts like an asshole, his words, and he's not kind, and he said that he probably thinks that happens because his default is because he's a little bit insecure. His default is to mask it up. So he said, if I actually meet with somebody who I want to connect and he had a person in mind, then I'll actually be kind and generous and generous and compassionate and try to reach out to him in a genuine way because it's important to me to make this connection. But even more so, it's important to me to be true to myself and not just mask that up. And that's a big thing. You know what I mean? That someone did that in five minutes. 
a lot of we afterwards we did a similar thing for people's business and their personal safety when traveling. A lot of people came up to me and said, got them great results, actually made the money, and I was like, wow, okay. I didn't know it was <laughs> this applicable across the board, but that's magical, man. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying, and I kind of have one I use for my own frustrating moments where it's like I just I'm banging my head against computer because some like technical system isn't functioning right. I know I can figure it out, but it's not happening now. And then I'll just get up and like go take some laps around the block or something like that. Yeah. Take a few hours off and then come back and approach it again. That seems to work. But you can also apply it like approaching girls, approaching guys, or you know, a business meeting that you want to take with somebody that if then because like you can mentally map it out. So when you do encounter something that s- stops you or s- some roadblock, you can have an answer for yeah. you know what to, how to get around it. I think, and, and that was something I said in the talk that I think motivated a lot of people. Because like, you guys know why people don't prepare? There's two reasons. One, people are lazy. The creating mental modules before I have a conference, before I have a talk, before I have a meeting, whatever, it takes time. There's no, there's no magic hack here. It takes time to think of various situations. And again, you can go very general, you can go very specific, but it still takes time. So people don't do it, one, because they're lazy. That's just the real truth. The second reason is fear. And people really procrastinate and hold off on thinking about these mental modules, about a situation they're going to face, because they're so terrified of the situation. They're just like, you know what? I'm not going to look at it right now. When I get to it, I get to it. And then they get to it unprepared. And the thing is, those are, those are human tendencies. It's understandable to feel that way. However, it's not acceptable to use that as an excuse. It's not a valid excuse. Because quite simply, there are no valid excuses. Like I said earlier, the fact that I got tricked or whatever into going into the truck, that's not an excuse. It's like, I quit. It's on me. You know what I mean? So again, not recognizing that the fear is not valid. It's valid for you to feel that way. It's not valid for you to overcome it. Mm -hmm. The laziness, it's not valid, period. (laughs) Like the fear I have compassion about, I understand it. But if you want to get to where you want to go, you have to overcome it. So now with your kind of new path in life, if you will, where are you, where are you trying to get to? Like what goals have you set for yourself near term, long term? So I have my personal goals. I'm engaged now and I want to be an amazing husband to my wife. And it's like, I make a large amount of efforts to not just put in work, but to put in smart work and quantify, quantify really what makes her happy and what I can do in order to facilitate that. I want to be an amazing father for my kids. And I want to make a business that facilitates that. And I want to have a business that also helps people. So that's, that's really important to me. Um, and yes, that's what I'm doing. My short-term goals are for this year. I've decided with this new business, I'm going to hit a million dollars in profit. Um, I want to speak in corporate. I want to share this message. I want to also do, I'm already doing one-on-one coaching with several people. And also want to go into public speaking a little bit. It's like that, that was the first presentation I ever made. Um, I was very surprised it went that well, but I feel like if it went that well, people are telling me this, I should lean into it. And I definitely just enjoyed it tremendously. So something that I enjoy tremendously, people enjoy tremendously. I think that's a good marriage. I have no doubt. So have you been since post, you know, DCBKK, like what have you been doing? Have you been calling people saying like, Hey, I'm Itmar. I, I do public speaking on these topics. Like, have you started making those calls? Um, I have gotten in contact with a lot of TEDx people. Um, Hopefully that'll facilitate, that'll work out within the next week. I've already scheduled two talks in Bangkok. Um, a couple of people that approached me after the conference, I got in touch with, in touch with them. We're starting coaching now. They're just taking massive, massive action. Thank so you. when it came to your if then because when you made that first call to the TEDx people or, you know, the, the big ones, the ones that you're like, this yeah. is like serious. What was it? What was your mental? The mental module was, Basically, the because was, it's like, I know who I want to become. It's like, I want to become elite in everything I do. And I understand that it's going to take a lot of work. But I also love the fact that it takes a lot of work because there is the opportunity because most people are lazy. So I said my because was like, I want to get to big things this year. I want to do something that's not just going to get me a result, but that I'm going to have to change in order to get that result. I'm going to have to become a different level of Edomar to get those results. And like that... That drives me. That gives me fire to be like, I'm going to be one year from now. I don't want to say, oh, I just did this. I'm going to say, whoa, I changed. I became a better person in order to achieve these massive goals. 
And the if was like, if I meet any resistance, I'm going to try to figure, not just bulldoze through it, but really try to figure this out in a systematic manner. So I approached people who had spoken in TEDx. I was like, what are these people looking for? Because I know from my background, I might come off as a little bit aggressive or abrasive or whatever it be. So I was like, how do I fit into this, into this niche so that I get my desired outcome? So the if I want to approach people from TEDx, then I have to educate myself a lot. And I have to figure out this puzzle because I really want to get this result to get to the next level. Beautifully said. So it sounds like you come, you creatively come up with this idea, okay, TEDx is where I want to be. Logically to you, it comes into your head that, okay, approaching people who've already done TEDx is the next step. I mean, is that kind of how you kind of work towards those goals? Because you can't obviously know the master plan and the big picture. So what, you're just kind of incrementally taking the steps that come into your head as the most logical next step? Um, so I guess I fall a lot on my jujitsu training. So like I said, I'm a black belt, but I started as a white belt. And when I was a white belt and I wanted to get better, I wanted, I had this big goal again. I wanted to become a world champion. And I never achieved that goal. I was able to get fairly close at some points, but the way I thought about it was how do I get better? Oh, let me go to the best place in the world. So I moved to Rio de Janeiro and I trained at the best gym at the world at the time at Fight Zone Checkmat. And there was just these people who were already black belt and brown belt world champions. And just being around them, and not trying to figure it out, but modeling what they do gave me a tremendous boost. So I was like, okay, this is a lesson from the martial arts that kind of apply to life. It's like, I don't have to figure this thing out. I need to go to people who've already been there, ask them about it, and then just work tremendously hard following a proven system. And I think it'll get me results. I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I've heard a million times, but until you said it that way, I'm like, because I have relatable sort of things in my life that I can... I want to be a better surfer. So I surround myself with really good surfers. And so I guess like from a business perspective, like the DC has been that for me. I'm surrounding myself with, you know, better entrepreneurs than I am and people who are doing core sales in a more, you know, productive way. And I feel good about my decision-making after this conversation. (laughs) Um, No, I've been feeling good about everything that's going on in my life, but now I think I can apply it in other aspects too, that I think I can see more of a rapid success than just me chasing my tail. Like I feel like I've been doing for so long, you know, that's really good aspect. Just, I mean, like I just said, like, um, I, my mastermind at the DC, um, there was another guy doing course sales, swimming course sales. Yeah. And like, I make these connections. That's great. But like, I am a bit more of an introvert. Um, and I like my alone time. So like my goal now is to keep those relationships alive more with the people that, and I don't want to sound selfish. Like can help me. But I think that I can also give back and we can brainstorm with like, all right, this is how I'm approaching course sales right now. What do you think? How are you doing it? Let's have a dialogue on it and like doing more check-ins, I guess, you know, with those types of people rather than just letting those relationships kind of dissipate. Yeah. So one of the most fascinating things I learned this year was how unselfish it is to ask for help if you're going to do the work. So he was like, I had one person in Bangkok who's, uh, his name is Scott. He just, I had never had somebody help me that much. Like when I put it out there that I'm starting this Facebook ads agency, he just made this grandiose effort and he put in so much work to help me out and he just propelled me forward so fast. And we kind of knew each other. Like we knew each other from jujitsu, but we'd never had lunch before or we never gone out like outside the mats. And it kind of overwhelmed me and I didn't get it. Like, why is he helping me this much? Until so like one day I was like, Scott, like, why are you helping me this much? And he's like, cause you're doing the work. And he's like, I want to help people who are helping themselves. And I've noticed that a lot around the DC and just in life in general. People like to be a part of someone's success. People don't like wasting their time. And when people feel like, oh my God, if I help you, you're going to succeed and I'm going to get to see that and feel good about myself. People generally enjoy it. So it is kind of a trade off. They're giving you knowledge but you're giving them a big emotional kick if you follow through. And again, I think this is also, it's a great opportunity because most people don't follow through when they ask for advice. So when you click with someone and you actually follow through, you actually foster a relationship that's really strong. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes feeling like they helped. I mean, that, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now because I enjoy helping people. I like that feeling of like, man, I got you to the next level. Mm-hmm. You have a bit more clarity, you're a better leader, whatever it may be. But if you can trade that and give it to people, it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it just dawned on me that, you know, I have had a lot of help from people in the DC and some of the things like I didn't follow through on and I knew I would and I still will, but under the circumstances, it wasn't 
the right time or something yeah. like that. So I could also see them distancing themselves from helping me anymore yeah. because they gave me the key to the castle. <laughs> I wasn't prepared or I financially wasn't ready to take that next big step. And like with Facebook ads or something like that, that then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe just not ready. They're still homies. Like we're still cool, yeah. but I can really relate to what you're saying. Like and me too. And I help people with their surfing. Like I have so much free information yeah. and there's one guy who's taken his surfing to a whole new level because he's implementing everything. He does everything I tell him to do. Yeah. Religiously. Doesn't that feel great? Don't you yeah. want to help him regardless of like the fiscal? Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. What do you think about guys like, you know, Goggins and like, um, uh, Jocko. Jocko. Yeah. I think they're doing great service to the world. You know, really? like, I obviously have differing opinions on some of their things. Mm -hmm. And I think Goggins and Jocko are incredibly different. They're completely two sides of the spectrum. They're just like, people are putting them, people only see because they're from afar. Yeah. They just see them as one and the same. But Jocko and Goggins are completely, completely different. Um, I think their messaging is powerful. I think Goggins has a lot to share as far as people not making excuses and how powerful it can serve them. I think he takes it obviously to an extreme, but I think the world is of benefit because he takes it to the extreme and that message gets across. It's like you have to yell very loud for people to hear you over the internet, whatever it may be. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the things he says and a lot of the way he goes about things, but I think he does a tremendous service. Um, I think Jocko, Jocko's ability to articulate principles is of such value. I have nothing but praise for the way he's able to distill lessons from the special forces community and make them very clear so that people can, can take them. Like I read his book, I knew everything in there, but how he articulated it, that was a lesson in leadership for myself. I was like, this is, this is really good stuff. The way he's able to articulate it very clearly. And that's why he was seen as a great leader in the SEAL teams. Do you see yourself, um, applying your, you know, mental module to like reaching out to him? Definitely. And, uh, learning from him, from his podcast, from his speaking engagements and doing that. So I kind of feel almost insulted that you think I haven't reached out to him yet. It's been oh. a week since I didn't talk. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jesus, yeah. good for you. Dude. Yeah. You are a man on a mission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done, dude. Yeah. That's so awesome. I already, I try to figure out who are my mutual connections because he's also a black belt. Mm -hmm. I've looked at my mutual connections and all that. And I've reached out to a couple of people I haven't heard back yet, but we'll follow up with them as well. Good for you. Yeah. Um, how are you reaching out? I know you have mutual connections. Are you sending like emails and hopefully they're getting to him? No, I'm sending Facebook messages to my, our mutual friends. Okay. I was like, trying to scour my brain because I traveled a lot training as well. Okay. And I was like, oh, I know two people in San Diego that train. Mm -hmm. Maybe they know someone who trains. Maybe this. And I'm trying to find like, you know, the, the three, three laws of separation or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. Three degrees of separation. Yeah. Six know, degrees. Of six degrees. Sorry. Yeah. I think it's more like three with Facebook these yeah, days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook and like jujitsu is a small community, so it's like I'll, I'll get there. And I'm yeah. just gonna ask them straight blank. It's like I really think you're doing a great thing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do similar something similar. Mm -hmm. I would love to get some advice. And it's like I'm not trying to compete or anything like that. Yeah. He's more established than me, and I think that's a big part of it. Also, just approaching with humility. One thing I've noticed in my approaches, since I do reach out through like Instagram and Facebook yeah. to random celebrities or people I'm inspired by, is that I get responded to more when I send a video of my face, mm. you know, and you're yeah. saying, Hey, I've done this like Lady Gaga, for example, yeah. I like, really liked your Netflix special. I think that'd be awesome if you came on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, she didn't actually get back to me, but I, I have had others like respond. And I think okay. that's a really, if, Thank you, know, you. if you want yeah. a tip, like put your face on a camera so they can see your, your genuine awesome. facial expressions. That helps. Awesome. Thank you. I'll definitely do it. Yeah. No yeah. worries. Um, going to the jujitsu thing, cause that's interesting to me. So when you, can you do that timeline for me? Because you were special forces working. Like, how did you go spend time in Brazil to become a black belt? Oh, okay. So when I was positioned in, so the government always, um, like in where I worked in the in our federal service, there was also always a culture of like be in shape and like if you can do martial arts even better. It was like a very Spartan culture in that place. Like literally, when we graduated the federal service, they gave you the gates of fire as a as a as a gift. That's the book that the movie Three Hundred was based upon. They're like, this is the warrior ethos that we believe in in the federal service. So that was, that was the culture. <laughs> um, so when I was, um, positioned in Bangkok, I'd actually go and sneak away like five days a week. I'd go train at night, um, jujitsu. And afterwards when I was traveling, I was like, man, this jujitsu thing is like, I, I kind of like it. And I'm, and I'm pretty good at it. And I'm like, when I was in Asia, it's like, I was just, I didn't lose ever in a white belt. And I was like, maybe there's something here. 
And I just met my fiance when I was traveling and she did something that was very inspiring to me. She left home and she just became like a yoga and Pilates instructor in Bangkok. And now she's gone all the way where she works with the royal family. She does teacher trainings all across Southeast Asia. And I was like, wow, this person's like living her dream. Like this could be a thing, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't just have to go like to school afterwards and go the normal route. So I just decided instead of going, like I was planning this trip a couple months and then go back home, go to school and all that. And I was like, all right, let's go to Brazil. See what we can make happen. And just bought a ticket there and figured it out. I'll figure out the rest. How long did it take you to become a black dog? Took me about eight years. So I did it pretty fast. Took me about and you years. were living in Brazil for eight years? No. So I was going, going back and forth. Living, I lived for a while in the States as well, in California, um, near Boston, uh, in Thailand again. It's like the, the relationship with my fiance was very important for me to keep. So we did have some times where we were apart from each other. We did long distance, which was terrible. Um, but made a lot of bounces back to Brazil and yeah, it took me a while also to get to back there to get my black belt again for my instructor. But that's who gave it to you, the Brazilian yeah. school. Yeah, he moved to Portugal. Okay. So there was like, I probably could have gotten my black belt about a year and a half ago, two years ago. It's, it looked like from the competitions I was doing, I was ready. But we had to make it work. I went to see him and he was like, bro, you're, it's time. You know? <laughs> so I was like, awesome. No way. Yeah. So it was just like, he's like, new. it wasn't. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a. You know, I always try to be hard on myself, mm-hmm. but my instructor is a nine-time world champion, and he's created black belt world champions. So having him say that was like a great sense of validation because I'm no longer in Brazil training with the baddest of the baddest. Mm-hmm. I'm in Thailand, and it's like it's a diff- there's different levels to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it was great going to Portugal training with him and him telling me it's like it's time. So who who was, is he? Can you tell the audience? Yeah, his name is Ricardo Vieira. He's one of the founders of Checkmat, which is one, I would say the top, easy, top five best teams on the planet. They have a giant global reach. Um, the best fighter, pound, like uh, the best overall fighter on the planet, Puchacha, is from Checkmat. And yeah, he's, a, he's an amazing instructor. His way of looking at jiu-jitsu has taught me a lot about how I should approach problem solving in life because he never does any moves. It's more about understanding the concepts behind why things work and how to learn. And yeah, Ricardo Vieira, if you're ever in... In Portugal, go check him out. He's also just the giant sweetheart. That's right, yeah. dude. If you could, if you would like to share with the audience one thing about yourself or that you'd like them to know about you, you know, as you're moving forward to become, you know, a special forces, you know, mentor um, for business owners and anyone in general who just wants to like level up their life, their yeah. business. What's one thing you'd like them to know about you and, and kind of your trajectory and how you're going to approach this? It's a good question. Um, I guess what I was thinking about, how it separates what I don't agree with Goggins or Jocko and where I see myself being a bit different is that I want to also be compassionate. And that's the thing. Like I faced failure. I didn't just start on the SEAL teams and blast my way up. Like I had to struggle to get there. So I understand also what that path entails and that it's not just going to like zip up. You're not just going to overcome. And it's not going to be this like how Goggins had this monumental like turn in his life and he just shot up. Like for me, it was a lot of ups and downs. Even in the second unit, I wasn't a star. In the federal service, I was a star. I was ready and from the jiu-jitsu scene and so on. And I guess that's what I want people to see. Like people who are really ready to get after it, they have a big goal and they've already started out. They got a fire going and now they just need someone to help them pour fuel all over and make it erupt. That's what I would love to help them with. And helping people is my passion. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I can marinate that with the tactical skills, those mental modules are just the tip of the iceberg of so many things, but also to help them hold themselves accountable and strive to be better and be willing to make those sacrifices because they know who they can become. I would love to help them with that. That's awesome, dude. And then yeah. do you have a website? I do. It's MaraniConsulting.com. I'll sure you can post the link yeah, somewhere in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Uh, MaraniConsulting.com. They can find me on Facebook. I do lives quite often. I talk about leadership, about how to deal with stress through mental toughness and fortitude and these various kind of lessons from the special forces. Awesome, dude. One more final question. Can you speak to one audience member who is inspired by what you just said? Or maybe there is one out there who's kind of still hesitant, a little fearful of taking that first step into the unknown, taking that first trip, starting that business. What could you say to maybe motivate them, inspire them to, to take that first step in the unknown? The fact that you're afraid right now, that there's this unknown and you don't want to do it, we're not all unique as individuals. As much as we want to say that, if you're feeling that, there's a thousand other people that are feeling that. 
And therein lies the opportunity. And that's the beautiful thing. Those other thousand people are not going to do it. So it's much easier to do it because that fear exists there. That's the beauty of it. A thousand people, they feel uncomfortable, they're not going to do it. So you don't have to be technically smart. You don't have to be super sophisticated, intelligent, talented, gifted, whatever. If you simply make that step to where most people just don't want to step to, you have a tremendous advantage over the rest of the field because there's just not, there isn't a rest of the field. And I think that's something to always lean into. When you're feeling uncomfortable, when you're feeling scared, recognize that as an amazing opportunity because if you just do it without regards to skill set, you're already creating separation and allowing yourself to succeed. Beautifully said, brother. Thank yeah. you for joining me. Definitely, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome, Edomar. Thank you so much for coming on Misfits and Rejects and sharing your story. I know for a fact this episode is going to inspire a lot of people. It definitely inspired me to really just use what you talked about, the if, then, because, I mean, I can see myself in every single situation I find myself in that I'm doubting myself or I don't know the right path to take, just applying those three simple words and then adding my own play-by-play with what could happen if I took that first step and applied myself. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's a great mental model. And again, if you like Itamar's philosophy, please hit him up. Hit him up at marianiconsulting.com. It's in the show notes. Uh, Again, he's consulting with small businesses, helping them grow to the seven-figure, eight-figure level. He's a very ambitious, focused dude, and I have no doubt he would deliver a service that you will benefit from and see results from and achieve your desired result with his help. So thank you again, Itamar. If you haven't already subscribed to Misfits and Rejects, please hit that subscribe button. If you like Misfits and Rejects, I sure would appreciate a comment or a five-star rating. That means the world to me. And I always, always, always want you to know I am rooting for you. I think you all are so very beautiful. Take that first step. Start that first business. Whatever that thing is that you want in your life, whatever that lifestyle is that you want to create for yourself, it is attainable. And just remember, if, then, because... You can do this. I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.